Hello, Internet! We are your friends at Fangamer, and this is the podcast where you get to hang out with weirdos who work at a video game merchandising company. I'm your host, Charlie, and as promised, once again, this week's episode is a remastered version of an old episode. Specifically, it will be episode two of Your Friends at Fangamer, in which I spoke to Dan, who became a podcast regular after that, and Jessica, who had just recently joined the team full-time after years of various other roles at the company. Uh, Once again, I've tried to re-edit the audio to be just generally more listenable, removing a bunch of stutters and verbal tics that I wasn't yet in the habit of editing out, as well as fixing a few general audio quality issues as much as I can. So, here we go! We jump in with Dan answering my question about why he allowed the old podcast to die. Well, that says a lot about um, really all of the projects I've been a part of at Fangamer. Um, I've done a little of a lot of things. The reason I tend to stop things most of the time is a combination of I forget to do it and I have run out of the amount of things I had to say. Like I was very enthusiastic for about 10 episodes worth of podcast content. We ran through all that. It was great. And I was like, well, there's no more coming because that's (laughs) like that's all of the podcast that I have accumulated over the 32 years I've spent on this earth. And it's not renewable I'm kind of now now that you say that I'm wondering why more podcasts don't kind of just end yeah it's, well, it's <laughs> like like in a satisfying way like like you have uh, like so many TV shows out there you know they just kind of start and then they end whenever they stop getting renewed instead of ending whenever the story is over. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the issue you would run into with a lot of podcasts there, like my favorite, uh, Dunked On, great NBA podcast for all the basketball fans out there also listening to this. It would be difficult for them to have like a satisfying ending because it's just two guys talking about basketball. So like at the end, maybe like if they both got married, like in a Jane Austen novel and like <laughs> they all married all of the secondary characters in the in the podcast. You know, I, I, I feel like it's hard to get to that through a two guys talking format. I mean, I mean, I guess the alternative is if basketball just ended yeah yeah if, if they're like well guys that was a great season and you know it finally reached its climax yeah. yeah that about wraps it up we'll see you guys next year with a brand new sport <laughs> jessica you have been part of the company for longer than most of us in one way or another this is going to be a big question but i happen to know that you're prepared for this would you uh, would you mind running through your history with us um sure i met steve compost in december of 2009 at a family christmas party and and he was telling me about Fangamer and I remember he showed me the Fangamer website at the time and it looked a lot more like a blog like site basically <laughs> and I think Fangamer had just had their first panel at a PAX they didn't have a booth quite yet so w- were we even a merchandise thing yet yes okay yes we were but it was like very bare bones as far as like the website goes gotcha gotcha yeah. so we were pretty much like one shirt and some <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. And then they invited me to the office. And I remember office cam was a thing back then. And I remember Camille Art Fridays. And so I kind of just loitered at the office for a <laughs> while. So in like early 2010, I remember I wanted to be part of office cam, but I was a little nervous because I was, I think I'm only 17 years old. I was still in high school and I didn't really want a bunch of weirdos seeing my face on the internet. <laughs> so I took a you on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> True. So I decided to take a box and um, draw cute faces on 
each side and I stuck it on my head and that solved that problem. And uh, I got coined the name Boxhead. So that was kind of my persona on the show. And to this day, there are some people at Fangamer who, when they meet me for the first time, they go, oh, I still just remember you as Boxhead, you know, <laughs> but it's like, oh, hi, I'm Jessica. You know, nice to meet you. Which uh, uh, coincidentally, we still have that box. We do. And it is currently, uh, I think, Holding up Dan's monitor? My laptop. People wanted to throw the box away. <laughs> and as a, I mean, you could, a nice way to say it would be historian. And another way would be hoarder. I said, no, you can't do that. That's the box head box. So I took we, we've my. Kept, we've kept way worse things. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the thing. Like isolated demand for rigor here. Like that's going to be the thing you throw away in this like rat's nest of an office. When we kept B-boy spits. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, what I did was I threw away my laptop, laptop stand and that is now my laptop stand and the moods occasionally change. Yeah, I'm very grateful for that because now I can be nostalgic because yeah. I, I wasn't here at the time, I believe, when probably. Yeah, because that was right when we were moving, which was three years ago now. Yeah. So because I've been on and off with the company part time and I started working here more than a little more than part time in the sense that I became an official design intern. Yeah, before that, you were one of the few people we knew and trusted to come in and sew things. Yeah. Which was, you know, I don't think that was like a career option for <laughs> you. <laughs> I, I remember I was studying fashion design at my community college for a while and I got my first sewing machine and I think read probably asked me if I wanted to maybe try sewing some things for like polos and hoodies. And so I gave it a shot and I kind of became the first official seamstress. And during the my breaks, when I was gone for longer periods of time, I do remember Lindsay going, hey, can we have you back, please? Because they don't do as good a job as you. So, <laughs> but I, I enjoyed it. So as a design intern, we just kind of throw you at all the projects that our uh, full-time designers didn't feel like doing. As I hear, but I actually kind of like them. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So so that was back in February 2018. And, you know, I would do simple things like design shirt labels, which I thought was cool because they were like mini projects. And I always admired designers who designed them because I would I'm the weirdo who likes to collect them, you know, and stick them on like a pin board or something. Sure. Um, I, I know several people who every time they would get a uh, there, so there's some people who have basically just like walls of these. Yeah. Things that for <laughs> us are just the thing that we use to tell what size a shirt is. Yeah. Uh, but they all do. But they're stickers. So. They, they have this inherent reusability. Yeah. And I know for me, I do try to put some attention to detail with those and really make it match the theme of the shirt. So that's why I appreciate them. So I like to collect them too. You're not technically an intern anymore because right. you are graduated now. Yeah. I recently um, graduated May 10th of the this past month, I guess. And last Monday was my first official day as a full-timer here. Um, Congratulations. So thank you. <laughs> so it's been a week and uh, I definitely feel like I'm just diving back in and I have more projects to juggle and more strict timeframes to finish them in. So it's a little stressful, but I have great company here. So it's <laughs> it's fun working with friends. Let's get on back to Dan for a bit. Uh, sure. Dan. What do you do at Fangamer now? I I have no idea, honestly. <laughs> um, so I've 
Uh, I've known everybody at Fangamer since the the late 90s um, when we were all kids on Earthbound.net. And since then, I've kind of just hovered around and just been like I was in. Uh, we were just talking before the recording about how I was in our like the very early Fangamer chat room pre Slack back when we were on Basecamp's chat room. And I was just in there, I think, because I knew everybody like I, I had no role <laughs> at Fangamer. They're just like, yeah, I guess throw Dan in there, too. Yeah, IRC <laughs> had kind of gone like the attendance there had gone down. So it's yeah. time to switch over to the next chat program. They're like, yeah, I guess I guess we still want to talk to Dan. So you can just <laughs> put him in there. And um, I was going to grad school at the time for creative writing. Not necessarily a great decision, but I made it. And all that time, I had kind of had this idea in mind. I always really wanted to make an Earthbound Zero travel guide where like it's completely in universe like the player's guide. And it's very stark and like, Full of Helvetica, like uh, like Earthbound <laughs> Zero is, you know, just that kind of flat affect '70s and '80s design. But I was hindered in my ability to do that by having very serious ADD and no design skills. So it never really happened. And then a few years in, I had just finished at Colorado State where I was in grad school. And Finger was thinking about doing an Earthbound handbook. And so I just pitched basically the exact idea I had for Earthbound Zero and said we could do that and was brought on to work on it part time um, along with a few other people. And as anyone who's had to work on a project part time knows, you're never going to do it. It will never, <laughs> if, if there are multiple people involved and you're all working, on it part-time. None of you are ever going to do any work. You're all going to feel too bad about it to talk to each other about how little work you're doing. And that's how things work passed for like a year while I worked at an alt-weekly in Phoenix. So uh, I was eventually hired on full-time to work on the Earthbound Handbook. Was that and, the only way we're going to get you to do it? Yeah, yeah. That was the only <laughs> way it was going to happen. So two years later, it finally did. And then um, in the meantime, to keep me busy, I've done a little of everything. You know, I write the product page copy. Uh, I run the Twitter. I helped run our two big Kickstarters years ago now, Bloodstained and Shenmue. I've hosted telethons. Yeah, like wh whatever falls to me. I feel like my one of my one of the skills that I can have at Fangamer, you know, as someone who is not able to focus on one thing for very long <laughs> and who doesn't have a ton of like really hard skills is that if there's something that needs to get done and a bunch of other people are going to be mad about doing it, <laughs> like I can just do it. It's fine. Like I'm not doing anything more important at that moment. <laughs> Dan, I have to add that you are the hostess with the mostest at Camp Fangamer. Yes, that has been probably the most fun thing I've done <laughs> is, um, is being on Camp Fangamer all day during the streams. And that's kind of my, my motivation and all the stuff I do here is that I can't necessarily do it as well as a professional. Like I'm not going to write a book as well as a professional or I'm not going to, certainly not going to host a Twitch stream as well as a professional. But if I force myself to do it nonstop, or if I make the book really weird, I can distract from that comparison and just be like, well, you know, that's, you know, that's a weird player's guide, but it's, there's, I don't have anything to compare it to. So I guess the Earthbound Handbook is good. So that's kind of how I think of all the work I do. One, you're one of the people I think that Reed often just relies on, like whenever he can't think of anybody else to, to do something or if, like, I can tell you that, that Reed has a lot of confidence in you. <laughs> And no pressure. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you might be uh, you might be holding this company together, whether you know it or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's yeah. That's like um, if I can't do anything else, I can at least very calmly agree to do something badly. <laughs> like, like I I try to remain laid back about things at work when I can. I don't necessarily want to be the first resort, but I'm fine being the last resort on a bunch of things if, that, <laughs> if that's necessary. I mean, because I've found, especially over time, that that fan gamer has chosen to have more specialized employees, yeah. people who are really, really good at doing 
certain things, uh-huh. uh, which is very important. That's like skyrocketed our stuff. And we started off with somebody like that, with John, yeah, who's yeah. just an incredible designer. And that made all the rest of us look better. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, I, but I also think it's important that we have like I, I figure I think I'm kind of in a very similar boat. Yeah, where I'm just a jack of all trades person who is like a glue that holds a lot of these other things together because we don't have a role for that glue yet. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I, there are a lot of people who are, say, extremely good designers, like trained, very talented designers. And there's a lot of stuff that to make them do it would be to keep them from doing more design work. <laughs> so like if it's talking to partners or if it's, you know, writing product page copy or coming up with names or whatever, like it doesn't make sense to have a designer do that because they could be busy making more designs. Speaking of designers, let's switch on back to Jessica. So what is your day to day like right now? What are you uh, what are you currently doing for us? At Fang? I know you've only been at it for a week, but it sounds like you already kind of get stuff piled on. Before I left, I still had some some plush work to do. And by plush work, I mean, I work closely with Jenna, who helps prototype a lot of our plushes and I create the packaging for it. There's several, I'm sure I probably can't say anything about what they are, but sure. I'll design, <laughs> I'll design the hang tag. I'll make sure that all the important info, like uh, what the product is made of and such the little sewn tag that goes on the back of the plush on the bum usually. Um, and then I'll also design the poly bag that the plush is put into to protect it. So I'll work closely with Jenna on that. Right now I'm also working on some book layout stuff. So that's been kind of fun. And, you know, for a lot of these projects, I usually don't work solo. It's a lot of collaborative work. I mean, that's the um, benefit of being of working with all these folks who have been doing this for so long is that yeah. you have people who you can ask questions of. That's that's one of the really cool things. I, I think uh, whenever I look at our design team is just how much they just like share stuff back and forth mm-hmm. and just learn from each other. And I, I think they, they've all got like some specialties. You know, Tony spent just so much time on books that him and Audrey have both spent so much time on books that if you have questions, anything about like, like that whole process, you can go to either of them. They'll be able to provide, provide some advice. But yeah. <laughs> uh, I imagine some of it ends up coming down to just kind of giving you general advice, but still, I hope, like encouraging you to kind of bring your own voice to it. Yeah. And kind of bouncing off what Dan was talking about, it's really great being able to work with others because I can focus strictly on the layout stuff and someone else can help write the copy, you know, or provide me assets and things that I need to help. You know, they bring me the ingredients and then I'll cook <laughs> up the meal, so to speak. So that makes it a lot easier for me, because if I had to do everything, I would be extremely overwhelmed and I would just be a terrible writer and do a really bad job at it. (laughs) So um, we get to plug people into what they do best. And that's how we're able to create, you know, better products. And I I like that you brought up all the like the little parts from the uh, from the plushes, because I don't know how much people really think about all those little yeah. details. Somebody has to do all these mm-hmm. bits. There's printing on the on the bag. Like that's not something that that a computer will just pump out. Right. Like, we're, we're, we have somebody who is laying that out and putting the design time into it. Yeah. And the tags and everything. It's just. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's someone doing the Japanese translations too. Yep. You know, I'm often asking, "Hey, so how do you translate this polyester such and such or whatever?" <laughs> you know. Because <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah, a lot of our stuff now, especially if we think it's going to be popular we have to do a little bit of a little bit of bilingual in there because we're also going to be sending some stuff to Fangamer Japan and yeah that's gonna be, uh, and, and of course we work with so many Japanese companies now that it's it's becoming a bigger and bigger part definitely uh, which is you know 
fun because like our main Japanese translator person is also like the head of the mailroom who is yeah uh, there's a lot of uh, <laughs> she is a generalist Lindsay is a generalist yeah she's a slightly more than jack of all trades yeah. I would say <laughs> maybe a queen possibly king of all trades <laughs> with some ace points in there yeah and, and I, I will one thing I will say is that not only do people not always know all the little things that go into it frequently we forget all the little things that need to go to go into a design until the last minute Yep, and then uh, that last minute scramble is always fun. Yeah, yeah, and so like, um, <laughs> like that attention to detail. We hope it comes through in the final project, like final product, all the time. But sometimes it is a matter of oh, we forgot to design this tag or this like this one piece that's going in there, mm-hmm. and it just has to get done right away. <laughs> um, we're working on a lot of internal tools to make that easier. I'm sure Charlie eventually you'll talk to uh, Brian Koya, uh, who we just <laughs> described as our oh, good yeah. computer boy. You know, one of the things that comes with having more like people who are more specialized and having more products and all this stuff is that when it was when John was like one of the only designers who did anything at Fangamer, John would know, okay, for a shirt, I got to do the tag. I've got to do the label. I've got to do whatever else. But now, you know, with those things going to multiple people, we've had to reckon with that not being in one person's brain anymore. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so, um, big part of what we spent the last year doing is trying to um, make it so that one person doesn't have to think about all that. Everyone who's doing their bit can put it into one place so that we all can look at it and see that it's getting done. That was a very difficult change for us to do, too. Yeah. I mean, I still have trouble reckoning with the fact that I don't know everything that's going on at this company. I haven't for years, but I've been in denial <laughs> for a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, Dan, a couple questions for you. First of all, what are you working on right now? And as a writer, do you ever just run out of words? <laughs> so as a writer, I feel like I ran out of words about six years ago, <laughs> immediately after I finished my graduate thesis. Like I wrote those 10 stories, defended my thesis, got my master's degree, which is not framed. I think it's sitting um, near a bunch of cookbooks in our kitchen right now. Um, and I was like, well, that's all of the words I will ever have. And um, it's a very strange experience going from writing in one in one form to another. Like when you're writing short stories, like I was then, it's just fiction. It's only in your own brain and you're writing these emotional hothouse stories where like nothing is happening, but everyone's thinking very deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have to go into uh, blogging about music like I did for a year right afterwards or writing product copy or writing an Earthbound handbook. And it's extremely different. Like you're writing for a different audience. You're writing with very different ideas in mind. And honestly, I'm not totally sure how to handle it, which is why I've not produced a bunch of short stories in the last five years. <laughs> you, uh, you shifted into one gear. It's been hard to shift back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I do not have a ton of gears. It takes me a long time to get turned around. <laughs> As for what I'm working on right now, we've been shipping uh, the first phase of the Bloodstainer Awards. Um, so I've mostly just been doing logistics for that. It's been four years in the making. We launched that Kickstarter in May of 2015, and it's just kind of finally getting all that out there, uh, working with the public and the developer to make sure we're all on the same page. And that has been taken up more than all of my time for like the last month or so. Before that, I got a chance to edit the uh, speedrun book we released earlier this year, which was really cool. You know, I'm glad that I am not just a writer here because I'm frequently not able to do it, is what I would say. <laughs> like, it's it's good to know that um, despite my inability to put words down on the page, I can still do something else, even if that's just ship packages or whatever. It's not writer's block if you're doing something else. Exactly, yeah. Like, if I'm 
I'm if I'm working on getting copies of Bloodstain shipped out, I don't have to think about whether I'm unable to write right now. So that's great. <laughs> so Jessica, tell me, what would you like to accomplish here at Fangamer? I know it, you know, again, you've, you've only been full time for about a week. So like, but looking out into the future, what would you really like to do? Well, I know I've expressed interest in more book layout projects just because I like getting to use the Adobe program in design. So I would like to practice that a lot more now that I'm not in school anymore. And I probably would want to do a little bit more illustration work too. I was talking with a fellow co-worker recently how it can be kind of intimidating since we have so many just talented professional illustrators and that's like their job to draw things and they do it so well you know even if I can do it in a more like simple way that would be fun so I think that's why I do like working on hang tags for example for plushes because it's like I sometimes I can do the illustrations even if it's simple it's like little baby projects where I can do a little bit of drawing you know I I joke to myself I'm like man that'd be so cool if someday I could do something Kingdom Hearts related but um, it's probably never gonna happen because <laughs> that's, that's one of the only <laughs> video games I've ever been passionate about. And to this day, I still have to play. Um, well, I still have to finish um, Earthbound. So mm-hmm. I, I feel funny that I've been here for like 10 years now and I still haven't <laughs> finished the game that started it all. <laughs> well, yeah, a lot of people are in the same boat. So. Yeah, it, yeah. If, if it had been one year here and you hadn't finished Earthbound, that's your fault. If it's 10 <laughs> years, it's now our fault for not, <laughs> not having made you done it yet. Like, that's entirely on us now. Yeah, it's re- like we really should have set up that clockwork orange like little yeah. chair. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Uh, so, Dan, so uh, on the same question, what is your dream project? What do you really want to work on? Uh, I'm going to I don't know how this is going to work because this is an unfamiliar microphone. But I'm going to get right up into the microphone and say, I want us I want to, to publish Mother 3. <laughs> Back out of the microphone. <laughs> Another thing that I would like to do is um, we are on the hook to do an Earthbound Zero handbook uh, based on some goals during the first camp fan gamer. Mm-hmm. So I got to do that eventually. And it's um, what's holding me back is most partially all the other projects that I've been working on that are more pressing for Fangamer. But also just I want to make this one really weird because it has a small audience. As opposed to our other uh, handbooks, which are very by the book. Well, and that's part of part of it, too, <laughs> is that the like the Mother 3 and Earthbound handbooks, very weird books with very particular ideas about how to be a player's guide. This one. With very different ideas. About yeah, that. yeah. Two completely different ideas. So you got to come up with a third completely different idea. Yeah. And I. And I stole my first idea <laughs> for about Earthbound Zero to do the Earthbound one. So this one's going to be really weird. And I've got to uh, kind of psych myself up into writing it. And maybe more importantly, forcing a bunch of designers to work on it. Because yeah. <laughs> the design aspect is going to be even weirder mm-hmm. than the writing. But that's something I would definitely like to work on. Hopefully when these two Kickstarters are fulfilled, I'll be able to sit down and just, uh, you know, take a week and just try to make something very strange. That sounds pretty cool. I, I, I envision a, uh, a Mother 1 handbook as being like not even not even like a book like the other ones I imagine almost like a zine like full just printed in purple like I want what I want to do is I want to make it look like a bundle of mail oh basically like (laughs) I I want people to receive it in the mail and be confused as to what part is like part of the book and what part is just like a piece of spam that they got in the mailbox (laughs) at the same time like that's my goal Uh, we'll see if we're able to do it it, it would, would it be all tied together in like that like hemp rope just like yeah yeah like yeah. a UPS logo twine thing yeah. going on <laughs> um, so that's that's what I want to do we'll see if it's possible well uh, this is also a uh, ostensibly a um 
tangentially video game related podcast. Are you playing any video games right now? Uh, in a very like bright, expansive sense of the term playing right now. Yes. So I play like three games a year and I get really into them and I play all the way through. And then I want to like I only want to talk about that one game until I finally play the next one. Right now, I am still on a this very weird RPG maker game called Jimmy and the Pulsating Mass mm. uh, that came out last year um, made by pretty much entirely by one guy who's, I guess, not even a programmer. He just was a musician who's sat down to make a game and like forces forces his way through RPG Maker. It's a very odd Earthbound inspired game, which describes a lot of RPGs that are made right now. Sure. But what I particularly like about it and what has made it, um, I think maybe less popular than it could be, is that it feels like it was made by someone who's been like locked in a room away from the internet for like 10 years in that like this guy's community, so far as I know, was the RPG Maker community. Like he wasn't in the indie game community so to speak and so it, it's just a much different game than a lot of the games that have come out at the same time just because the influences are different it reminds me more of the games that were coming out around you know 2007 2008 the early indie game influenced by earthbound and other offbeat stuff like that cohort like off and games like that mm. and so i really enjoy it i love the soundtrack i love the game it's very sad that more people haven't played it so that's for the last like going on five months that's been the game i am playing now <laughs> uh, for purposes of talking to people about video games uh what about you jessica i am in the process of finishing kingdom hearts 3 mm. um i started it when it came out i had it pre-ordered for like two years or something ridiculous like that <laughs> and unfortunately uh when the game came out late January was when I was starting my final semester for my bachelor's degree. And between school and uh, work part time here as an intern, I was just way too busy to really dedicate proper time to the game. So I'm trying to finish it with my husband now. And basically at the end, it's really weird. I don't understand. And I think it's also <laughs> that thing where I almost don't want to finish it because then I'm like, but then it's over and yeah. we've waited so long for this final installment of the series. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that's why I'm kind of like taking my time with it. Sure. But otherwise, on a daily basis, I am unashamedly addicted to Disney emoji blitz on my phone. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's basically like bejeweled, but with little Disney characters instead. So I think I'm on like level 67, which if you did the math, it's pretty bad. <laughs> How much time I have spent on a silly phone game. <laughs> hey, well, you know, I think I think uh, silly phone games get a bad rap. I spend a lot of time playing Sudoku on my phone just because it's a thing for me that I can just pop out of my pocket at any time, any place and just, just solve a puzzle real quick. And mm -hmm. if I look, I don't think it keeps track of my hours, but if it did, I'd be a little ashamed of it. Um, <laughs> any other game pretty much is probably more involved and impressive than playing Sudoku on your phone. So yeah. I'm not going to judge myself. Mobile games should have like as an in-app purchase, they take away the thing that's showing you how many hours you've played it. <laughs> like the free version, that should just be right up there in the middle. So you can pay to make it go away. I recently played through uh, Kingdom Hearts 1 and Kingdom Hearts 2 again, knowing that actually, no, I think that was just before I actually knew that 3 was on the horizon. Mm -hmm. I think it would be very difficult for me to stop playing a Kingdom Hearts game for a few weeks and come back to it because I'm pretty sure it would take me several hours to figure <laughs> out what was going on. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but that's the, that's the cool thing about Kingdom Hearts games is that you don't really need to know what's going on in the overall story. That'll come. The, nobody really knows what's going on until the end anyway. And even then, eh. like, all you need to know is you go to this world and you figure out what's the story in that world. Yeah. And that's all that's important. Yeah. And I've been a diehard fan since I was 
basically in fourth grade when I saw the first commercial for it on the Disney Channel, which is weird that it was even on the Disney Channel. I just don't want it to end, so. (laughs) Instead of editing the old, non-applicable Fangamer News segment from the original episode, I've got some fresh, hot, current, as of the time of this episode's release, Fangamer News for you to enjoy. First, we've got a new line of Metal Gear merchandise, which you should check out at Fangamer.com. Of these, I particularly want to mention this Revolver Ocelot lapel pin, which has this spinning part that makes it look like he's twirling his gun. It's it's pretty funny. We also have a new wave of merchandise for the podcast Friends at the Table, which is an actual play podcast, which, if you're not familiar, means they play tabletop games and actually follow the rules fairly closely while making an entertaining show out of it. Which reminds me, I, I think I'd still like to do a one-shot campaign as a podcast episode this season. Uh, adding that to the list. Okay, let's get back to Season 1, Episode 2, Remastered. We'll pick it up with our very first ever Tucson News segment. Remember when we did Tucson News every episode? I, I missed that. I should start looking for more news I can We are located here in Tucson. We uh, love our little town of Tucson, and it is a very strange place. Why? Uh, <laughs> well, it's uh, hot all the time. That's <laughs> people not live here. Strange. <laughs> well, here, here's here's a strange thing because that's one of the things I want to do. I want to bring up a weird little piece of uh, Tucson news. Pet communicator and medium at the Tucson Botanical Gardens. <laughs> Hopefully, you already know that all through uh, all summer through September 30th, you can bring your dog into the local botanical gardens. Well, they'll be charged just three bucks for admission or you can get them a summer dogs membership for twenty dollars <laughs> anyway as part of this event pet communicator and medium and marie hoff will be bridging the communication gap between you and your pup whether your pet is with you at home or in the great beyond well, what a cool chance to finally hear what your dog is saying back when you talk <laughs> to him or her tickets go on sale the day of the event and only 40 are available so be quick 5 to 8 p.m friday june 21st tucson botanical gardens and there's the address so it's 15 dollars for adults 13 dollars for students and senior and military three dollars for dogs free for kids under four ten dollars for members but members dogs are free you didn't just make that up no that is an actual <laughs> thing that's happening <laughs> See, Tucson is a weird place. It's, it's a very cool place. Let's be clear. We love it here. I think the weirdness is part of its charm. I've got to say, and I apologize to any owners who feel differently about their dogs. I have no interest in knowing what my dog is thinking. <laughs> I, the way I think about this right now is that, ima- like, imagine your relationship with your parents. Your relationship with your parents, not always perfect. Hopefully they did their best. Hopefully you did your best. And then over time, as you mature and become an adult, in many cases, you're able to say, you know what? Things weren't always great in the Moore household, but they did what they could. I did what I could. I'm going to put that all behind me and I'm going to say, you know, let's be let's be adults with a great relationship here. That requires introspection, which is the thing that dogs do not have. <laughs> <laughs> like all of that work, understanding yourself as a child and your relationship to your parents, this very strange fraught relationship that you have with no one else in your life that requires a human brain. <laughs> if you do not have it, it must just be terrible <laughs> to have to constantly come to grips with what like you're, you totally lack the tools to come to grips with 
with what your owner has failed at. <laughs> like I've done my best by Tuppence, which is uh, the dog that Lindsay and I own. But we've certainly screwed some things up. <laughs> Tuppence has certainly screwed a lot of things up. <laughs> and Tuppence has no hardware and her poor benighted brain to more say, benighted than most. I would yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Has no hardware there to say, you know what? We all just got to put the, put this past us and do our best. Speaking of dog, I think that's that yeah. Ruby. Anyway, yeah, she Tuppence. heard Tuppence yeah. and decided that she had some opinions. Tuppence has no concept of like human fallenness and our need to forgive each other. So she would probably just say every day, every damn day, they don't feed me until six o'clock. <laughs> I go into my stupid kennel four o'clock in the afternoon and they refuse to feed me until six. What on earth could they possibly be doing that's more important? I starve every day. Um, and that's all she'll think because she's a dog and not a person. Well, I also am a dog owner yeah. here at Fangamer. I have a two-year-old golden retriever named Lily and she has the opposite problem of Tuppence because she just doesn't want to eat. She uh -huh. never wants to eat. Ever since she was a baby puppy at like eight months old, we would give her her food and she just decides that she'll eat when she wants to. And if there's human food, like an apple or something, she'll totally want it from you. Uh -huh. But we've trained her enough to like keep her distance where we'll put her in our kennel and she'll be like, oh, okay, I can't be around when there's food. I see. Yeah. But she just sometimes will only eat one meal a day because we feed her twice a day. But the food will just sit all day until like, I don't know, 8 p.m. And then she'll decide, oh, OK, I should probably eat my food, you know, man. Tuppence has never let food sit. <laughs> like the the first minute after it's out, she's freaking out until you let her out of her cage. And she just scarfs it down. Yeah. yeah, especially if there's bread around. Oh, yeah. Like she she's just smart enough to know the cue that we're going to send her to her kennel before she gets to eat. So she goes like five minutes earlier every day. Uh-huh. So that eventually she's just going to roll back around and like at 11 p.m. She's going to just go in there and say, OK, time for dinner. <laughs> like she's yeah, I don't know. That's dog mediums. I don't think people want to know what their dogs are thinking <laughs> because dog thought is not mediated like human thought is. <laughs> yeah, I feel like now I got to add another segment to this podcast where the, the people just talk about where their, you know, their pets and their opinions, their, their interactions. Because I think everybody, almost everybody here at Fangamer does have a pet of some sort. And they have they have some opinions about those pets as well or where they rank in comparison to other pets in the company. <laughs> I, I have a, I have very, uh, very clear rankings as far as the cats of this company and mm -hmm. where mine stand in relation. But uh, <laughs> Uh, anyway, so let's uh, let's move along because we're, uh, we're running out of time. This last part is the audience participation portion of the show where we answer your burning questions about life, the universe and everything. We haven't received any deep philosophical questions yet, but we did receive a question on Twitter from our friend Electric Chai, who I assume is not related to our longtime <laughs> friend and current fangamer employee, Heaven Chai. Electric Chai says, I'd love to know more about the props and stuff used for Camp Fangamer. Ah, there's just some A's. And just the general props process behind some of the products like the Undertale plushes. Does anybody want to take a swing? I'll take the non-plush half and then Jessica can Jessica can do that, the plush <laughs> half if that works. That seems like, yeah, that a, seems good, like a pretty, uh, pretty uh, clean good, split. Yeah, clean division of labor there. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the props at uh, Camp Fangamer, so they're mostly made by uh, Jazzy and a bunch of her extremely talented friends over the course of several years. As for how they come to exist and where they are now, they usually come to exist when one of us has a dumb idea. Like I say, hey, it'd be cool to have a wheel of obligation and then 
and Leo builds a <laughs> 10 foot tall wheel that spins around and throws sparks and <laughs> obligates people to do things. Um, it's magic. Yeah, yeah. And now they're kind of just uh, mostly floating around the office. Uh, the wheel is in storage at Forward Printing, I think. Mm-hmm. I think the that big pizza from the video relaxing door is just sitting over a door somewhere. It might just be sitting on a cabinet. <laughs> Some of them are in use just as like everyday fangamer items. They see a lot of use as uh, photography props also. We like to hoard them. At least I like to hoard them. I don't want to lose any of that stuff <laughs> because how are you going to ask someone to make another Wheel of Obligation? I think the Wheel of Obligation in particular was, uh, was an interesting thing because... Like as far as how it was made, like it, you know, mostly just crafted from wood. Uh, it featured some electrical engineering to cause the spinning wheel to light up panels along the sides. The wheel was attached to gears that turned another wheel of electrical contacts that would brush up against the stationary wire. That's a nice way of saying nails. Yes. <laughs> uh, which each of the nails would complete the contacts to light up different panels. It looked great from the front, but, be- but from behind it kind of looked uh, terrifying, like something from a mad scientist lab, which makes sense since Leo, the guy who made it, is kind of a mad scientist. Yeah. Leo Larcher, I believe that's how you pronounce it. Correct me if I'm wrong, Leo. He's a fascinating guy. He's a tall, lanky dude who last I spoke to him was on the way to Mexico to kind of drift around with his girlfriend for an, for an indeterminate amount of time. Uh, I haven't seen or heard from him since. Uh, that's not really unusual, uh, but like, cause he's kind of like a Mary Poppins. He kind of floats in whenever yeah. he knows he's needed. And then whenever <laughs> he's done, he floats away. And I know that sounds like I'm exaggerating, but like, I'm not, he is a singular person who kind of needs to be seen to be believed. Let's yeah. go. Let's go to the to the plush half. Code, can you tell us about the process of actually making a plush? All right. So I um, have to have a little disclaimer here that I am representing Jenna Murphy, who is the plush mom, as mm-hmm. we lovingly call her around here, because every single plush project that comes into existence, she has a hand in in some way or another. She helps with all the logistical aspects of that and helps um, design them, too. So from my understanding, um, it always starts with like a sketch that an artist will illustrate and they'll do turnarounds of the plush. Yeah, turnarounds. So like because it's a 3D product. Exactly. So you need to get it from a bunch of angles so that people who are actually going to make it can make it. Yeah. So from there, I think it gets split in two ways. Either the design will be sent to um, Eyes5, who helps prototype a lot of our plushes, and she will create an initial prototype and then she will send it to the factory who makes it and then they will replicate that prototype or the artwork will probably go straight to the factory if they think that they can design it without a prototype. Uh, More often than not, though, we usually have eyes make a prototype and then we'll send it to the factory and then they'll make a prototype and then they'll send us pictures of what that looks like. And around that time is when Jenna will give them edits on the proportions, the fabric, colors, things like that. And so Jenna really works with the designer and like the developers in the factory and she helps communicate all of that to make sure that the final product looks great and that um, everyone's happy with it. And she also will be the one who will assign me, for example, to create the packaging for the plush as well. So that's just a general overview. Yeah, I'd say the most important part of that whole process is like the sampling process, uh, the Mm -hmm. sampling part where we're kind of like, okay, we get the the sample plush and have a bunch of revisions and it goes back and it's just that 
like constant back and forth yes. communication, which takes so long. It because, really does. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like uh, you'll get a sample and then you'll send over the notes and a few weeks later you get another one. Mm-hmm. So that part alone can take months. And whenever we, and we just have to do it until we get a sample that is what we want. Yeah. And since a Ralsei plush is coming out pretty soon here, that one took so many different <laughs> attempts yeah. at getting right, you know, getting his snout just right, getting his hat just right. It really is a very in-depth process that can easily take a year before mm-hmm. it finally hits the shelves. And that's that's what you have to do, because like now, whenever I go out uh, and see plush toys in stores, I can look at them and say, <laughs> oh, they didn't they didn't spend enough time in that sample process. <laughs> like, they should have done a few more back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's the biggest part. And then after that is just you, whenever you get the one that's good. Then a few months later, thousands of them arrive and then we start shipping them out. Yep. Such a great couple of guests. I look forward to having them on again. I'd give an update on what they've been doing lately, but I'd rather just plan on having them on again so we can just catch up. Listeners, while I'm planning out the rest of the episodes for the year, this is the perfect time to pitch a topic of your own. If there's anything you'd like us to talk about, please email your ideas to your friends at fangamer.com. Thank you very much, Past Dan, Past Jessica, and Past Charlie for joining me this week. Listeners, if you'd like to support this podcast, please consider buying something from the Fangamer store. Alternately, just share us with your friends, tweet about us, or even tweet at us. Thank you, Super Soul Brothers, for the music on this episode, and thank you, listener, for listening. We're your friends at Fangamer. Try to make someone smile today, and let's plan on hanging out again next week.